welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. If it's your first time listening, what's going on? Welcome. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about everything from what inspires them, how they get unstuck, and the discipline and drive to create. Today's episode is with Adam Vani, co-founder and director of Jar Kombucha. He's awesome. I have a feeling you guys will dig this episode. Passion begets passion, so let's do this. Before we get to talking with Adam, let's have a little chat. I am pretty thrilled with the reception this podcast is receiving because I love doing the podcast and the fact that so many of you have been listening and have subscribed, it just it just means the world to me. To each of you who have left a review in the Apple Podcast Store, thank you so much. I read each and every review and I can't tell you how happy it makes me that humans I don't know personally are enjoying the podcast enough to write a review of it. And tell your friends about this podcast too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are amazing. And I wanted to say a big thank you to Better Almond Butter for sponsoring. If you're an almond butter lover and you're not eating sprouted almond butter, you are literally missing out. Better Almond Butter sprouts all of their almonds in a process that makes them easier to digest and actually allows your body to absorb all of the nutrients this superfood has to offer. Using only unpasteurized almonds from Spain, Better Almond Butter is truly the most nutritious and delicious almond butter around. You can get Better Almond Butter in three flavors, sweet and salty, toasted, and truly raw. Head on over to betteralmondbutter.com and buy it with the offer code KEEPITQUIRKY to get 10% off. Again, that's the offer code KEEPITQUIRKY quirky. By buying this delicious almond butter, as I just said, you're also supporting the podcast. So thanks, everyone. So let's have a chat about life and things before we head into the interview. Yeah. Can I tell you all about my current fascination slash obsession with Ayurveda? Now, this is not a new thing at all. In fact, it's a very old thing. It's been around for about 5,000 years, and it's been a big part of people's lives in South Asia for that many years. But it is new to me, and I'm guessing it might be new to some of you, so I think it's worth bringing up. Its essence is based in the thinking that the mind and body are inextricably connected, which I totally believe, and it's about striking a balance in your life. And of course, the aspect of it that got my attention is the role that food plays in this. I've gotten more into this from reading East by West. It's a pseudo-cookbook by Jasmine Hemsley, who is the sister of the wonderful Melissa Hemsley, who was the guest of episode number number one of this podcast. I kind of hate hopping on trends, but I'm just saying that uh, I recently read Jamie Oliver has a growing interest in Ayurveda too. Right. So of course, the way to get my attention is to couch this concept or trend in a cookbook. (laughs) And I've really been enjoying the recipes in Jasmine's cookbook, but I'm really even more intrigued by the notes she has about how to adjust each recipe based on your dosha. I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, dosha, which kind of means mind body type. I just love the idea of being conscious about my decisions. So let's say you're having a really anxious morning. That fixing yourself a warm cinnamon lassie is something that you can do to achieve balance. Or if on the other end of things, you're having a drowsy, uninspired morning, 
you make yourself a ginger and coriander lassie to kind of, again, balance out that lethargic feeling. So it's about listening to your body, taking stock of what's going on inside mentally and physically, and then feeding your body with something that will nourish it and bring it to balance rather than just say like shoving down a Pop-Tart. No hate on Pop-Tarts, by the way, but in my ever evolving relationship with food and interest in learning about other cultures, I'm definitely going to continue exploring this. Do you have any thoughts or feelings or have you tried? (laughs) Do you have thoughts? or feelings. Um, Do you have thoughts or feelings about Ayurveda or have you ever tried it? Or do you just think it's total hocus pocus? Do you know anyone I should interview for the podcast about this? Would love your suggestions of anyone I should try to snag for the pod. Holler at me because I love hearing from you at QKD on Twitter and Instagram or email me at keepitquirkypodcast at gmail.com. And Ayurveda transitions nicely into the topic at hand for today's episode. It's something that used to be way out there and in the West was associated with hippy-dippy types. Another case of this is kombucha, because that same arc has certainly happened or is happening with kombucha. Maybe some people still consider kombucha weird, but case in point, I was recently FaceTiming with my dad. He was in Southeast Ohio. I was in London. What are you whistling? Uh, what am I whistling? Uh, California Dreaming. So I am talking to my dad right now on FaceTime, and I was telling him who is going to be a guest on this week's episode of Keep It Quirky, and he got up and ran over to his refrigerator, and Dad, what'd you pull out of the fridge? I pulled out a bottle of kombucha. So have you been drinking a lot of kombucha recently? Actually, you know when I like to have it is when I'm at work and I have it with my lunch. And it seems that, first of all, I love the way it tastes. But secondly, it seems to give me a little energy boost going into the afternoon. So it's uh, a lot of good things happening. What kind of flavor are you into in your kombucha beverage? Well, actually, right now I'm enjoying a raspberry flavor. Um, But I'm... I'm kind of viewing it as a little journey, so I'm doing raspberry right now, and I'm gonna. There's a whole series of of uh, options that I'm looking forward to exploring. This is all to say that if a product has hit my little hometown in the Midwest, not far from the West Virginia border. It's pretty much become a thing in the States. And though the UK might be a hair behind on this trend, it is catching up fast. I met up with Adam Vani, co-founder and director of Jar Kombucha. That's J-A-R-R, double R, like a pirate. I met him in Hackneywick in East London in this super cool warehouse type space. On the weekends, this is a nightclub. So, like, we have techno events, we have jazz events, we have loads of different stuff. I mean... I could have been in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Okay. So, well, basically what we're in right now is an old car garage. Garage. I say garage now. It's really garage. (laughs) You're so British now. Oh, man. I don't sound like myself. Adam is American and thought he'd live the West Coast life, but had lived in London when he was younger and became friends with the guys who started Crate Brewery. And it was a friendship that proved to be propitious. So I started Jar with uh, the guys who started Crate Brewery. Kombucha and beer are brewed in quite a similar way. So uh, having that kind of uh, production knowledge, the logistical support, um, and like the combined sales and accounts teams has been like really helpful for us. And they're both housed in Mixed Garage, where there's lots of cool stuff going down. There's a beer brewery happening here. There's another brewery across the way. There's a 
community theater here called The Yard. There's like a tiki bar making place here. Uh, and then, of course, beer and kombucha. So it's kind of the perfect place to start something that's as weird as a funky tea. You know, that, <laughs> that people like were like, what the heck is kombucha? And, and before we get too much further, let's brush up on what kombucha is. Anyone listening who maybe doesn't know what kombucha is or has heard of it but doesn't actually know what it is, what is kombucha? Kombucha, uh, in its most basic sense, is fermented tea. Um, it's it's made with four simple ingredients, um, filtered water, um, or in our case, it's filtered water, organic cane sugar, organic tea, and a SCOBY, which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. He showed me around the jar kombucha production facilities. Um, we have like 16,000 liters of kombucha brewing. For such a legit brand sold in Whole Foods in London and Planet Organic, it was really neat to see that it's very much an artisanal product and, well... There are bed sheets involved. This is fantastic. And these are just like massive bungee cords that you have <laughs> around holding the fabric down yeah. over these so that these so are, that the uh, custom designed uh, John Lewis bed sheets yeah. made for kombucha brewing. <laughs> that is incredible. Cotton sheets, uh, <laughs> double size, I think it is. He told me it's basically the exact same thing as home brewing kombucha, just in those massive stainless steel tanks. But at home, you don't have to worry about CO2 intoxication. Is, uh, we, we have an air filter in here that sucks out um, all the CO2 because kombucha at this scale like produces toxic amounts of CO2. If we didn't have that and you stayed in here for a few hours, you would fall asleep and you wouldn't wake up. Oh my God! It's gnarly. One of the most common causes of death in beer breweries is CO2 intoxication. That's a fun fact, huh? <laughs> in this room we were in, there were 15 stainless steel tanks and each had at least 1,000 liters of kombucha in it. And he even let me get a noseful of the delicious teas he uses in jars production. Okay, so you use a blend of green so, yeah, green tea and oolong? Green tea and oolong. So give that a sniff. Oh, so that's this is, lovely. Your kombucha is only as good as the tea that you brew it with. If you're making kombucha with really crappy builder's tea, you're going to get a kind of crappy kombucha, to be honest. And I can back that up because I brew my own kombucha at home. I brew some booch every week, and I love it. In fact, I brought Adam some of my latest brew to try. I brought you my homebrewed kombucha. <laughs> Are you serious? Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. What have you made it with? What kind of tea? With green tea. Oh, that's good. Whoa. It's like super tart, right? No, that's great. But there's like, um, there's a sweetness to it that tastes like you, tastes like mango almost. I've been wanting to do fruit infusions, but that does not have any... This isn't far off some of the stuff we have in tank, actually. Dude, that is like the biggest compliment. I'm really nice. Thank you. It's really good. Thank you so much. So after I felt totally kombucha legit, Adam and I sat down in a corner of Mix Garage to talk through how he created the brand and the product from scratch. Hi, Adam. Hey, what's up? <laughs> okay, so you uh, have just welcomed me in Mix Garage. Yeah, you said it correctly. A garage is what okay, this yeah. is. Not a garage. <laughs> Not a no. garage. So how much time did it take it becoming the the product that it is sold at Whole Foods and Planet Organic and all over the place in London? Yeah, uh, well, I moved after two months. I learned to brew a week after we kind of decided on this. Uh, but it took about a year of R&D to get the flavor right uh, and to understand how kombucha ferments, to how to scale up, how to make a consistent product, um, and just how to launch a product into 
you know, a, a market where people didn't understand what kombucha was. So it was really like about education for us. Um, and we were lucky to work with some stockists that were really open to the idea, like Whole Foods, like Planet Organic, like Harrods, actually. They were our first stockist. Um, so we had some early adopters that were willing to take a risk on a new business and a new concept, and that was really helpful. Is the SCOBY what causes it to be kind of effervescent um, and well, the a little SCOBY, it's funny. Uh, the common um, assumption is that the SCOBY is, in fact, that cellulose pellicle is actually what we refer to it as. Um, the thing that grows on top of your kombucha is not, in fact, the SCOBY. The symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast is the starter liquid. Um, and that is a cellulose byproduct of the fermentation. So if you take one of those cellulose pieces out, what people call the SCOBY, and you leave it out to dry, you know, it may be an inch thick. And when it dries out, it will be paper thin. And that's because the liquid that is housed inside that is the starter liquid, is the, is the beneficial bacteria and the beneficial yeast. Um, and that's what kickstarts the fermentation. So the starter liquid is the gold in the process. You exactly. need that almost more than anything else. Yeah, you don't need the actual cellulose material. What? You just need the starter liquid. And in our case and in our research, um, in our brewing methods, we, um, we no longer use this, what is referred to as the SCOBY. We remove it. It's not necessary for the fermentation at our scale. Um, it actually hampers uh, the fermentation in, in certain ways by trapping in CO2, creating funky flavors, creating ethanol production, um, and not allowing enough oxygen to enter the brew. So, so that's what we found uh, creates a much more consistent, much tastier, lower alcohol, much more you know consistent brew. Dude, you are blowing my mind right now. <laughs> blew our mind when we when we learned this. This all is obviously it is scientific and it sounds very scientific and i'm sure anyone listening is like uh like <laughs> specific here yeah. Sorry. so when you started this when you got into it though was were you like super into the science or was it just kind of like a means to an end to learn how that happened really we didn't get scientific until the past six to 12 months. Um, not that we weren't testing certain things, but we just didn't understand what was really happening, um, I think, throughout the fermentation. And now now we really do. And we have a certain certain things that we test for every day. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, when you're getting to the scale that we're at, which still is very, very small, mind you, it's, you know, we're like, we're like as small as, as most small kombucha breweries in America right now. We're nothing compared to the kind of the big guys on the West Coast. But you are the biggest in England, right? No, no, we're not. I, really? I, no, I would probably say that Equinox produces the most. Um, the brands, i got to give a shout out to the, the original brands, which are Equinox Kombucha, Love Kombucha, and Go Kombucha, um, of which, you know, um, are some of our favorites. And they have been around longer than us. Um, they, uh, I mean, they were doing things, I don't know, maybe five years ago. Um, and when we came in, I think we were, we were the first London based kombucha brewery. Um, so what's, what's cool is we produce everything here in London. Um, we bottle everything in London. We have our tap room here. So we're very London centric and that's, that's what we're kind of proud of, um, that people can come, you know, can come here and, and understand, you know, where we're from and stuff like that. I I imagine being in London, like this is, you've got the audience for kombucha, right? And the people who don't know kombucha are probably the people who would like kombucha, especially East London. Yeah, for sure. It's, it was definitely a good place for us to start. People were more open-minded and willing to try something that was a funky tea. 
Um, it definitely helps that we put it in a really nice looking bottle. Fermentation has become a bit of a trending topic in food and beverage. Do you feel the effects of that fermentation trend on, on your fermented product? Definitely. I think there's been a rise in consciousness about fermentation over the past three years since we started brewing. Um, kombucha, you know, in the U.S. at least, being at the forefront of that. People have always known about apple cider vinegar and sauerkraut, but they haven't really become um, trendy until now. You know, and we have all these artisanal producers now of all of these ancient products. Kombucha is 2,500 years old. Sauerkraut, I don't really know how old it is, but I know it's a lot older than, you know, recent history. Um, so it's really, it's amazing that these things that are tried and tested um, and that in our opinion are really delicious and also are beneficial to your gut health are now becoming popular again and being adapted to modern you know, brewing techniques, specifically with kombucha and, and modern design aesthetics, and, and they're becoming relevant, which is great. Was the fermentation trend already a thing when you guys decided to launch JAR, or do you just think it was really good timing? Um, we, the reason why we decided to do it was, first of all, because we all loved kombucha, and Tom and Jess and Neil, my partners, couldn't get the kombucha that they wanted in the UK. They wanted something punchy. They wanted something really sour. They wanted something uh, unapologetic and something that could sit across several channels. I think our, our initial brainstorm was we don't just want a drink we can buy at the supermarket. Of course, kombucha will sit in that kind of area at some point or hopefully. But we also, you know, we're people that enjoy delicious beverages. And sometimes we don't always want to drink alcohol. You know, if you go to the bar the only choices you really have are what fizzy water if you're not drinking fizzy water with a lime a j2o a coca-cola um you know or or just tonic water without any booze um and kombucha i think sits well really in that category where it's an adult soft drink with a complex flavor profile that m allows you to feel like you're drinking something more than just a soda or fruit juice um and so we always wanted it to be in the bar setting which is why we launched it on draft in our bar before we even bottled it just to gauge people's response. Yeah, so let's talk about um, Jar Bar. Because, uh, so I agree that kombucha is an awesome kind of like alcoholic drink alternative if you if you want to do that. But it's also really good as like a mixer, which you guys do at Jar Bar. Yeah, we started serving it on draft. Uh, it always made sense to us because, um, you know, we're co-owned by Crate Brewery. Um, Tom, Jess, and Neil started Crate and They've been serving beer on draft for three years, and uh, and they thought, why don't we just chuck it in a keg and serve it alongside? It's cheaper, <laughs> and uh, and we could get people's like feedback. So that was kind of a natural progression for us. Um, and then in cocktails, we just realized, wait, this is a brilliant mixer. It's like got a third of the amount of sugar as a tonic water or a fruit juice. It's complex. It's sour, so it gives you that edge. And there's not too much you have to mix into it when you add alcohol. So we developed a line of cocktails that we sell on the bar. Um, we also sell them on a cocktail boat that Crate owns that goes up and down the River Lee. Um, and it's also, it's popped up in several cocktail bars around London, like Scarf's Bar at the Rosewood Hotel, the Blue Bar at the Barclay. Um, we're now sold in the cafe at the Dorchester. Um, and just, yeah, in cocktails, it just, it, it works really well. I think there's a trend towards more sour, more dry flavors. Um, and, and less uh, sweet, kind of overpowering sugary flavors. So it kind of, it works well in that sense. Let's talk about the, I guess, nutritional aspect of kombucha, which I think is part of the reason that some people really like it, just which you kind of just touched on in that it's 
not super sugary, but it almost fills the role of like a soda because it's got the effervescence. It's got the, you know, it's definitely a flavor kick. Um, Do you find that a lot of your consumers drink it for the health reasons, the probiotic qualities of it? Is it probiotic technically? Well, I mean, we don't use that word, and it's okay. actually not legal to use that word in the okay. UK. Um, then never mind, scratch that. You're going to be arrested. <laughs> no. In the States, they flash probiotic everywhere. Yeah. And the truth is that not all things are probiotic that are claimed to be such. Yeah. Um, you know, kombucha is proven to have bacteria and yeast, otherwise, it wouldn't ferment. But um, the strains of bacteria that you find in kombucha are not strains that that often exist in your gut. So acetobacter and gluconobacter, of which create acetic acid and gluconic acid, um, which are the two sour kind of acids that you find in kombucha. They are found in kombucha, but as I said, don't exist in your gut. So basically there's no evidence pointing to the fact that they can make their way all the way through the hostile environment of your gut and then propagate themselves. Um, So what we, there's no scientific evidence pointing to the fact that any brand of kombucha has probiotics in them unless they've added powdered probiotics post-fermentation. What is proven is the fact that kombucha is made from tea, so it contains antioxidant polyphenols, enzymes, amino acids, um, so it's really good for you in that sense. Also, um, the beneficial acids. So you have acetic acid, which is an amazing antimicrobial. You have gluconic acid. You have lactic acid, citric acid, um, stuff that you'd find in apple cider vinegar or lemon juice that help alkalize your body, um, bring the pH into the correct balance, um, that help aid in digestion. Um, My business partner, Jess, had severe stomach ulcers for many years. And when we started making kombucha, she went off her meds because the acids were helping to heal her gut. And uh, this isn't something that we we preach we don't really you know preach about the health benefits it's sort of implied with kombucha it's just a guilt-free delicious drink let's talk about the tea that's in it because it's deliciousness you said before really comes down to the quality of the tea which if you think about it is basically how like every food stuff is it's like well are the are the, the yeah the basic ingredients are are they quality? So tell us about the tea that you use um, and how you got to that point. Um, okay, well I guess initially we we started with green tea and black tea, and that's the standard recipe in, in for most American brews. We found that black tea was just the threshold was too uh, thin of going from a perfect steep to too bitter of a steep. Um, and it was a bit too full-bodied for us, so we went with something a bit lighter, which was an oolong, um, but we wanted to do a blend, because green tea as a base is always really good. It creates a healthy culture. It tastes really nice. For anyone thinking of maybe starting their own, I don't know, food company, peanut butter company, or, you know, anything like that, what would you tell them are the initial things that you have to start with it sounds like you had a pretty awesome team of people um what what would you say are those basic um building blocks um well i think as i mentioned earlier surrounding yourself with people who who are smarter than you in certain ways that you know um well how do i phrase it people that are generally smarter than you and people that that balance you in a way like i I like communicating with people. The thing that makes me tick is sharing the story and and, and meeting people um, and sharing my love for kombucha because I'm obsessed with it. Um, I 
I'm not a very good hands-on guy. And although I started as the brewer, I, I soon transitioned out of that role when Dom came in because he's very hands-on. Um, whereas Tom is a numbers man and he's a visionary. And, uh, and Jess is just incredible in terms of production and sourcing. And Neil has got the gift of the gab and he's, um, he's also very good in terms of legal stuff. And, um, and so we all balance each other in, in different ways. I think it's important to have a varied team. Um, also, you know, our vision was much bigger than us. And, um, and we didn't get into kombucha because we thought that it would be something everyone would immediately like. We didn't get into it to, to make a bunch of money. We got into it because we wanted to create something that we loved. And, and I think it's really important to, um, to steer clear of what you think other people want and just really think about what it is that makes you tick and, and why you're doing it. You know, for us, kombucha was just such a, um, it just made sense for us because we all loved it. But. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. How much would you say that kind of luck has to do with it too? I think, uh, well, I was very lucky to, to be connected to, to Tom, Jess, and Neil um, because they had that brewing background and they had um, the logistical support. They had the brewing knowledge. They had the facility that we could sort of, you know, put our brewery right in the middle of. And also, you know, we're really thankful for the community here for being so open-minded and supportive of weird and wonderful stuff happening. Um, Tell me a bit more about this community because it's a super awesome, unique community here. And like, yeah, you, you guys have like parties on the weekends yeah. and there's so much. So describe this community a bit. Um, well, I guess you could say Cackney Wick is similar to uh, Berlin in some ways, similar to, to kind of how Brooklyn was. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Maybe more um, Bushwicky or yeah. bed, Bed's Die at this yeah, point. Definitely. <laughs> and um, Hackney Wick at one time was the largest concentration of artists in Europe, which is amazing, more so than any other place in Europe. Um, so there were, you know, when I first came here, I was blown away by the fact that everyone lived in warehouses and it was this little secret. Um, and, you know, there was really nowhere to drink. There was nowhere to eat until Tom and Jess opened up the first cafe in Hackney Wick. Uh, and there were loads of artists and musicians and filmmakers all doing really interesting stuff, living communally, partying in these like amazing old converted warehouse spaces and just living this like little secret existence. Uh, unfortunately, you know, um, a lot's changed since then. Uh, a lot of these spaces are being knocked down and turned into high-rise apartments. A lot of the artists have left, but they're still, you know, still maintains. We still are able to maintain that kind of, um, I don't know, that that inspiring kind of creative feeling. And it's been a really good place for us to to start something that's that's super weird to most people, and and no one really batted an eye. They're like, oh, of course, in Hackney Wick, there's a funky tea bar. <laughs> I think Time Out even said, of course, Hackney Wick of all places you know, would have a fermented tea bar. Yeah. So it makes sense for us. And uh, yeah, it's been good. That's awesome. It does seem like a perfect match for, for your hub to be here. Yeah. Um, but you are sold all over London now and you ship all around the UK. Is that right? Yeah, we do. Uh, we ship from our website. So you can go to jarkombucha.com and you can have a six pack of large bottles sent anywhere to your home address in the mainland UK. And can Americans find find jar anywhere, or do they just have to come this way for it? Only if you go to my parents' house in Pasadena, you <laughs> <laughs> have to knock on their door. No, at the moment we don't we don't ship outside of Europe. Although you know we've had a lot of requests um, to the Middle East and Iceland and other parts wow. of Europe, and uh, yeah, there's 
there's just so much interest for kombucha as a category growing around the world um, that, you know, it, it's funny that people are reaching out to London as a hub. I'm, I'm sure that America is their first choice, but I think we're second best. Yeah. <laughs> so do you guys have investors yet or have you oh, yeah. talked about it or is, is that probably the next step for you? Yeah, we're actually going through our first round of investment oh, now. Wow. Um, we haven't met with anyone yet, but we've just finalized our our information memorandum, which pulls together everything. Um, and up until this point, self-funded, um, we've taken some small loans out from, from family. Um, but yeah, we started kind of on a shoestring and, and, uh, and, and have grown slowly with a really like core group of people. Um, so yeah, it's been really good that in that sense, we haven't sold out yet. (laughs) In order to take this business to the next level i mean it basically comes down to equipment right like you you walked me around your fermentation room Mm -hmm. which is fantastic but it's like doing that on like 10 times the scale like i kind of can't even imagine what that would look like (laughs) i mean 10 times this scale oh my gosh i i can only imagine what breweries in america are doing i know that um that hum kombucha just moved into a hundred thousand square foot space and this space alone the entire place is ten thousand square feet so if you can imagine ten times that the amount they're producing um i know that health aid is aiming to make over a million cases of kombucha this year which is just insane um so yeah i mean we can replicate what we're doing now um, by just adding 15 more tanks and getting the right amount of bright tanks but um, to maintain that many tanks will take a bigger team and, um, and, you know, around the clock kind of maintenance. Cause kombucha is like, you can't just like chuck tea in a, in a vat and, and leave it and just kind of go away for a month. It's, um, it needs to be tended to. It's like a plant. If you don't water it, if you don't take care of it, it's going to fail. Uh, it's not going to be happy. So it's a living organism that you have to really, um, kind of nourish in a way. Babysit. Yeah. yeah. yeah but no nourish. You're right. Like, yeah. um, yeah, you were describing to me some of your processes, and it really is a, a watchful and loving eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. There is a lot of creativity also kind of involved in this business. Mm-hmm. It seems like it anyway. Yeah. And you, you were just describing the branding and, and the fact that it's a living organism, all that stuff. What do you do when you get stuck? stuck creatively like how Personally? do you yeah how do you get unstuck personally and then you know it bleeds into professionally right yeah i mean uh wow creatively i i think it's important to take time this is just a personal philosophy not necessarily that of the business but i think in, in a busy city like london it's very important to take time for yourself and whether that's through meditation or yoga or going on a run just being mindful and giving yourself the space to detach from all the busyness mm-hmm. is really important. So I've, I've developed certain practices that are really beneficial for me as a person. Um, and, you know, I still pursue my own things, like, you know, whether it's drawing or, or writing music or something like that. It's, um, it's important to keep yourself moving and, and not let the business overtake your whole life. Right. Yeah, but business-wise, we're always innovating. And, and it's always important to keep a young mind and never become set in your ways of thinking about things to constantly question um, and to also surround yourself with inspiring people that are doing interesting stuff that that are open to um, that are open to you know giving you real um, you know criticism but also opening you up and uh, an honest communication between between those kinds of people are, are really important yeah I, I completely agree I think it's like the key yeah. keys keys to a happy life yeah totally. how do you 
keep it quirky. Keep it quirky. I mean, uh, all of us at Jar are burners. We go to Burning Man. Nice. Um, (laughs) We like, you know, you know, I know Tom and Jess and Neil are big foodies. They will try anything and they go to the far reaches of the world to eat. I mean, they went to Favicon recently, which is almost near the Arctic Circle to try foraged food from this incredible um, chef called Magnus Nielsen, maybe. Um, He was on Chef's Table and so they're pursuing the quirky side of food and, and beverage, and they're always experimenting with sour beers and, and weird flavors. They just did a coffee sour or a yuzu sour or, like, a blueberry sour fermented in gin barrels. Um, I think it's important to never grow up and just, like, constantly make yourself laugh. Like, this is all a big joke anyways, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. what's the point in taking life too seriously? Yeah. Um, and to surround yourself with people who, who will never probably really grow up, you yeah. know? If you meet... You know, for me personally, the people that inspire me the most are people that that aren't, as I said, set in their ways. People that are constantly um, challenging themselves and are and are just like totally themselves in a way. You know that they're they're unashamed of um, of expressing themselves in weird and wonderful ways. So yeah, they're not apologetic about their quirks. Exactly, I think that's really important. Adam, where can people follow you? uh, Follow Jar Kombucha online. Um, jarkombucha.com just has our list of stockists and you can purchase our product from there um, we're on Instagram at jarkombucha at jar- two R's J-A-R-R that's right yeah jar um, <laughs> I think jar. yeah I think we just wanted to give it a bit more of an edge uh, but yeah J-A-R-R uh, on Twitter and Instagram um, and yeah keep an eye out for our kombucha master classes which are happening all over the city we're doing maybe four a month now so if you want to learn how to brew uh, and learn about kind of the history of kombucha and about our brand that's the that's the place to hit up nice cool thank you adam thanks and now a little throwback to my interview with henrietta inman a couple episodes ago do you remember how she taught me the term eaty talky which was coined when bbc reporters started eating and talking and they got complaints about it so i'm gonna do a little eaty talky right now i'm eating some better almond butter it's seriously legit and it's so flavorful, it's absurd. Mmm. Okay. Mmm. <sighs> yeah, yum. I love almond butter a lot. I eat it on toast with banana slices, or stirred in with my oatmeal in the morning, or as you just experienced, on a spoon. Better Almond Butter is an almond butter brand that's reminding us how delicious and nutritious almond butter can be, and should be. Better Almond Butter is 100% organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, and paleo, with no added oil. They are also committed to sustainability by only using glass jars and 100% recyclable shipping materials. One last thing, all of the almond butter is made by the founder in small batches in Brooklyn, New York. You can get better almond butter in three flavors, sweet and salty, toasted, and truly raw. Head on over to betteralmondbutter.com and buy it with the offer code KEEPITQUIRKY to get 10% off the entire purchase. Thanks, as always, to my madly talented brother Brian Quinn for the theme song, and I'll see you all right back here next week. Until then, don't forget to keep it quirky! Bye! Thank you.